watched the um, the Brene Brown Call to Courage special on Netflix last night. It really hit home um, for me on this um, next path with mental illness life. Um, I'm kind of looking at it like season two because I'm videotaping it and we'll have it all on the YouTube channel. So I want to tell you about what she says about vulnerability um, because she's like way better at it than I am. So I'm going to quote her. She says, you share with people you've, you share with people who've earned the right to hear your story. Your story is a privilege to hear. You don't share it just because. Vulnerability minus boundaries, not vulnerability. And you don't measure vulnerability by the amount of disclosure. Because obviously, I'm like cool with all the disclosure. You measure it by the amount of courage to show up and be seen when you can't control the outcome. Does this make sense? Here's the thing. I'm not going to bullshit you. Vulnerability is hard and it's scary and it feels dangerous, but it's not as hard, scary, or dangerous as getting to the end of our lives and having to ask ourselves, what if I would have shown up? What if I would have said I love you? What if I would have come off the blocks? Show up, be seen, answer the call to courage and come off the blocks because you're worth it. You're worth being brave. And in the ever epic words of Teddy Roosevelt, it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done it different. The credit belongs to the person who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred with dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again and again, and who in the end, while he may know the triumph of high achievement, at least when he fails, he does so daring greatly. With that being said, I hope you'll do me this favor of having an open mind and an open heart when you watch and listen to the next part of my story. Thank you. Hi there. Welcome to this um, second season, episode one of Mental Illness Life. I am Brooke. This is obviously um, different than usual. I am videotaping my podcast going forward. For those of you who are much more comfortable with YouTube, here we are. So I want to just first of all say thank you for listening and for opening up your minds, opening up your hearts, because I see you. I see that only 90% of my listeners are in the United States and 6% are in Canada. And there are people in Egypt and Australia and the UK and all over the globe. I've gotten emails from some of you and Twitter messages and it is amazing to see that this is working. People are listening and engaging and talking about it. And the stigma is decreasing. Um, my new favorite hashtag is fuck stigma. So if you go on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram or whatever, make sure you tag fuck stigma. And that'll be our like little secret 
or maybe it won't be a secret very long. So today I want to talk to you about mania and here's the deal, you guys. Um, so this kind of sprung up earlier this week and it hit me pretty hard that this is what I need to be talking about this time and sort of starting this new chapter and doing these videos and showing my face and, um, really saying fuck stigma is that I need to tell you about how my mania manifests itself and <laughs> It's not something I've talked a lot about. I don't think I've even told my best friend. I don't even talk about it in therapy very often, but I'm going to tell you the world because that's how I roll apparently. <laughs> so yeah, my mania manifests itself as Anger, aggression, irritability, extreme rage. It is ugly. It is disturbing. It is extremely unpleasant. Totally uncomfortable to be in that kind of rage. It's cost me jobs, clients, friends, boyfriends. It was one of the determining factors in my divorce. It's one of the reasons why I shut down my computer repair business because I'm a terrible boss. Um, my annoyance levels get so high that it's hard to be around me. It's hard to be around myself. Um, it is truly the only reason why I cannot hold a corporate job. It's very difficult for me to work for someone else. I feel myself getting riled up at the slightest, the slightest thing. I live with co-occurring anxiety disorder and bipolar disorder. And that means that it's just double horrible. Um, you know, I told you in one of the episodes about how street drugs saved my life. Well, the other part of that is that some of that became such a problem that the rage kicked in a little harder than it should. And it exacerbated all of that. And I would get in fights and almost went to jail. Oh my God, I can't believe I'm telling you this. This is why... A lot of times I retreat into myself and being alone. And the reason why I said that it came up a few um, days ago is that it was because my son saw that I was like getting really worked up and irritated. And there's a fine line between getting irritated in like natural life, like it's normal, it's part of our lives and reaching that point of hypomania. And I'm pretty sure, like the best way for me to describe it is that hypomania is that level before psychosis. And for me, 
I've been able to medicate and um, deal with things a little bit differently because of how self-aware I am that I've been able to catch myself before it's been a problem to the point of hospitalization. I've never been hospitalized. So that's not to say that this is that this hasn't been incredibly uncomfortable. I think what happened for me was that when my son was like five or six, um, that time when I was like really figuring something out was wrong or something was wrong. And I was, I remember getting like super, super angry at him and that scared me. And I think up until that point, I didn't really care. I just didn't care who I hurt, um, what happened to me. But once I had my son and dealt with all of that, I realized that's not who I wanted to be anymore. And I sought treatment. And that's when I found the right medication for me, which um, at the time that was Lamictal, which is that anti-seizure medication I told you about. Things were good. And then I could feel myself elevating again. And a few years later, I, that's when I started lithium. And... So I want to read you this um, definition of lithium, okay? Because I know a lot of people, um, I'll say that, and they're like, well, isn't that stuff in batteries? Like, meh. Uh, yeah, it is, because we're all just a big bag of chemicals, remember? So lithium is an element. It gets its name from uh, lithos, the Greek word for stone, because it is present in trace amounts in virtually all rocks. <laughs> it's awesome. Lithium works with other elements, drugs, enzymes, hormones, vitamins, and growth factors in the body in many different ways. People use it for medicine. Lithium is used for mental illnesses, including bipolar dis disorder, depression, and schizophrenia, for eating disorders, including anorexia and bulimia, and for blood disorders, including anemia and uh, low white cell count. Lithium is also used for headache, alcoholism, epilepsy, diabetes, liver disease, kidney disorders, arthritis, a skin condition called Sebhora, whatever that is, and overactive thyroid, herpes simplex, a movement disorder called tardive dyskinia, whatever, Tourette's syndrome, cyclical vomiting, Meniere's disease, a tingling or crawling sensation in the skin, and aggressive behavior in people with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Did you get all that? So I love this part. Um, exactly how lithium works is unknown, but it might help mental disorders by increasing the activity of chemical messengers um, in the brain. And then this other part says um, that lithium is one of the most widely used and studied medications for treating bipolar. Um, it helps reduce the severity and frequency of mania, okay? Um, and it may also help relieve or prevent bipolar depression. So it can, you know, it helps prevent future manic and depressive episodes. So, you know, I've told you this before, there's really no cure. There's a lot of things out there that are, that are doing some really good things. Psilocybin, MDMA, like a lot of stuff, right? The TMS that I'm doing. Um, but I'm still going to have manic episodes. I'm still going to have bipolar depressive episodes. So... This stuff is, you know, out there, which helps reduce the need for medication. But to think to yourself, you know, I'm going to work toward getting off this medication. You know, it's not high blood pressure. You can't work out enough to not have to take lithium. It, it just isn't a thing. 
And of course there's some side effects. It makes me kind of foggy. Sometimes, you know, I'm like, I'm not my normal funny self if I'm having like an off day, but it certainly keeps me from that high level of mania where it's uncontrollable and bad. So I want to swing back around to the transcranial magnetic stimulation, the TMS that I'm doing. So it's the helmet that goes on your head and it is stimulating with magnets. It's a magnetic pulse into your brain, into your amygdala. And it stimulates the brain by creating this temporary magnetic field. Okay. And this is hugely successful, um, treating medication resistant, major depressive disorder, not bipolar depression. I mean, it does, that's what I'm using it for, right? It's just not FDA approved yet. So there hasn't been a ton of studies. What they're worried about is when I'm going through this is that they're treating the bipolar depression, which remember my bipolar goes up and then down, right? Hypomania, and then the depression's from coming down, crashing, if you will, coming down from that hypomanic state. For me, it's that super aggressive, irritated, elevated, anxious, panicky, talking louder, and I'm not a small person. So it's really kind of overbearing and in your face when this is happening to me. It's difficult to kind of explain when I'm not in that state, but what they're worried about with this TMS is that the, the magnetic stimulation will decrease the depressive levels and increase the hypomania levels. And so I've been doing the TMS now for three weeks. It's every day for 20 minutes and you go and you have this helmet put on and it's kind of jarring and you have a mouthpiece and I'm kind of like, hook me up, you know, if it's going to work, fix me up. And so I found that I was feeling better and I didn't take my lithium. This is a known issue of people who take medications. A lot of times it's, it's in schizoaffective disorder patients. It's an actual medical term that I can't think of right now, but where you just don't want to take the medication. You don't think you have to, cause you're like better, you know, it's a little bit like a high. So I'm not sure if that's why I didn't take, you know, it could have been that I just was like, forgot. You know, I did actually see my doctor or my nurse practitioner that does my medication management that day. And I remember telling her about the TMS and she's like, oh, I've, you know, sent people there and that, you know, she's, she's had people where they don't take their medication anymore. They don't have to. So I think I like, I don't know if I took that seriously and I don't know, but earlier this week, my son like saw me and he was like, you know, saying, you know, you're getting really manic. And then there was this other situation where I was talking to my roommate and I was getting a little elevated and I was, you know, getting like angry about the situation. I can't even remember what I was talking about at this point. And, um, I was getting like more elevated and, you know, I'm talking with my hands. That's how I always do. But there's this fine line that gets crossed though, where 
I'm like breathing heavy and getting angry and, you know, and just like moving forward. And I seriously don't even remember what we were talking about. And thankfully he kind of like knows to just kind of be quiet. Let me figure things out. You know, it's hard to deal with when someone's being like that. There's no real way to, um, to deal with it properly. So thankfully he's just kind of used to it. And, but again, these episodes don't really happen because I take the lithium and that keeps me at a certain level. But I will tell you this as well. As extremely vulnerable as this is, I feel like I'm the conduit that the universe is using to get this information, sharing this information through me. It isn't me. I know thousands and thousands of you who deal with this on a daily basis. Maybe it's road rage. Maybe it's um, annoyance with coworkers or on that small level. I'm not telling you you have bipolar disorder and anxiety disorder. I'm saying that I know you get this. I know you get where I'm coming from with, with this. And my issues are on like a higher level. If I'm not medicated, then I'm dangerous. That's all there is to it. I'd probably be in jail. It's seriously amazing that I just admitted that. Maybe no one will watch this. I know that I have listeners, but maybe nobody will watch this. But the thing is, I'm self-aware and I'm becoming more and more self-aware as I get older and um, as I progress as a mother and a friend and, you know, a business owner and, and a podcaster. Um, it's that being self-aware means that knowing what your limits are, knowing what your boundaries are. And um, something that I've been very clear about is with my friendships is... I think the only reason why my best friend and I are like this is that she understands better than anyone that if I am silent or disappear for two or three weeks, she has nothing to worry about and doesn't need to freak out because I'm taking that time to set my boundary and making sure that I'm stable before I do anything else or go, you know, be with other people. Um, I have to set boundaries in business, in like, you know, networking. And if I'm in a group, um, especially a group of women, it's very difficult for me to stay focused and stay calm. I, I know my boundaries and that's why I work better alone. I work better for myself and, and I've given up high paying jobs because I know that I mentally and psychologically cannot keep those jobs. I remember I used to, um, the job before I had, before I, I quit and started a business. I remember I, you know, those reviews, like those yearly reviews. I remember these managers of mine, men, cause I was in the tech field. And they would say, you know, sometimes you can be really aggressive. And I remember <laughs> using the gender thing. I would say, you know, you're just saying that cause I'm a woman and I'm in a, you know, higher role than most women. 
oh my God. And so you just perceive me as aggressive when in reality, I was extremely aggressive and should have been, you know, in the situation that they were putting me in. <laughs> so, yeah. So before I go forward with any more stories, I'm going to quote my favorite philosopher, Jason Silva. Maybe he'll hear this and hit me up. What's up, Jason? So he's talking about vulnerability. Okay. And that goes along with this because you think that I've been vulnerable up until this point? Shit. You haven't seen or heard anything yet. So what he says is what he asks the question, why are we so afraid to show where it hurts to come clean? Why are we so terrified of showing ourselves for who we are? Vulnerability is no joke shows us our fractures and our pathways to healing. How can we be more open, more willing to show ourselves fully to say, I was here. We matter. Each of us matter. Our pain, our joy, our grief, our uncertainty is not something to be experienced alone. There is healing to be found in revealing ourselves to others for as it is in this space where others can see themselves in us. And we can find a common ground, communion, and acceptance. You go beyond yourself. When we see ourselves candid and trembling and vulnerable and awake, but not afraid, everything we are looking for is inside ourselves. When you hurl yourself into the abyss, you realize it's a feather bed. So reason why I like to quote Jason is because he's really like poetic and I'm just not. So I feel like sometimes, um, when we live with mental illness and psychological issues, um, we can get caught up in the clouds and not quite understand how to come back down and that's okay. It's okay. So another thing I'm going to talk to you about is, um, you know, obviously what happens to me is kind of on an extreme level. Right. And so I have to be medicated. And I had said earlier that, that I don't really talk about this in therapy because, you know, I don't necessarily have to deal with this as much as I used to the medication and the self-awareness and growing up. And some of these things that I'm going to talk to you about aside from this, like exercise, I lift weights. Um, I used to play tennis before I tore my Achilles. So that was fun. That'll really fuck with a person is having a routine and then, and being someone who needs a routine. And then that routine gets yanked out literally. Um, I had to kind of replace that with other things, but I'm going to talk to you about like relaxation tools and, and breathing methods. And I, I know I kind of joke about this, like doing yoga, but my point when I joke about that is like, you can't yoga your way out of a panic attack is because all of these things need to be like working congruently, right? Like you take your medication, you go to therapy, you exercise. Those three things are the most important for me to keep me balanced. But that doesn't keep, that doesn't stop the aggression and anger from boiling up, obviously. So, um, continuing on that self-awareness path 
is, is going to be key. Knowing yourself is number one in all of this. But what I've, um, been sort of studying lately is called cognitive restructuring. And it means changing the way you think angry people tend to curse, speak highly, um, colorful terms that reflect your internal thoughts. That's obviously me. As much as I love the fact that it is scientifically proven that swearing reduces stress, um, it still is a uh, indicator of an aggressive person. So we, in this state, our thoughts can be very exaggerated or overly dramatic. So we With cognitive restructuring, um, what it teaches you is to replace the thoughts with more rational ones. For for instance, instead of telling yourself, it's awful, it's terrible, um, everything's ruined, tell yourself, it's frustrating and it's understandable that I'm upset about it, um, but it's not the end of the world and getting angry is not going to fix it anyhow. So, So as intuitive as these things seem, for someone with bipolar and anxiety disorder and even the trauma side of things that come in as well. Um, It takes real work to switch the thought process from one to the other. So, so you're super conscious of it and it's an everyday battle with switching that thought from extreme and exaggerated to slightly calmer and less exaggerated. So these relaxation um, tips or tools, breathing deeply from your diaphragm. Like if you breathe from your chest, it's like shallow. I do that a lot. I feel myself breathing like, so take a deep breath. When you do it from your gut, from your diaphragm, it actually makes your whole body calm down. So try that using imagery, um, visualizing a relaxing experience from the episode, uh, that I talked to you about magnets and waterfalls. If you have not heard that, go back and listen. I talk about my happy place, which is the rainforest in Puerto Rico and laying under the waterfall, And I actually have a picture of that because my friend who I was with was able to actually get a picture of me laying under the waterfall. So I have like a literal picture of it, but I don't even need to look at it because it's, it's etched in my brain forever. So I go back there a lot in my mind and, and then, um, non-strenuous, slow exercise like yoga. These are difficult for me because of the way my mind races. So lifting weights for me, it's sort of yoga like for me because there's still like, I'm, I'm able to get like rid of aggression with, but you need to find what's right for you. Whatever's right for you. That's what you need to do. Um, so I'm also going to talk about these tips from the Mayo clinic. Some of these are just like intuitive, like I said, but let's really think about them. Okay. So number one, think before you speak. Um, in the heat of the moment, it's easy to say things that you'll later regret. So take a few minutes to collect your thoughts and allow others in the situation to do the same. So, um, 
I'm coming up on a court appearance that I'm actually um, going to be someone's character witness. And the way that that person's attorney and I have talked about it is that I need to wait until the question's asked and then pause and then answer and then wait for like the judge to say anything. Right. So I'm thinking to myself, this is the way like it should be in life. Like that's just take a minute, take a pause, then move forward. Number two, once you're calm, express your anger. As soon as you're thinking clearly, express your frustration in an assertive but non-confrontational way. This is like probably second nature to a lot of you because so many people don't like confrontation, but the way that I was raised and the way that I acted as like in my early twenties, early thirties was so confrontational that it caused like so many problems, like the ones I mentioned earlier. But once you have stated your frustration and you stated your concerns, um, state your needs clearly and directly without hurting others or trying to control them. These are just really conscious thoughts as you are communicating with people. And I know a lot of you will understand this, that my annoyance level with like drivers or coworkers or just people I don't agree with, it is to the point of being almost uncontrollable. So number three here is take a timeout. Timeouts are, aren't just for kids. Give yourself short breaks during times of the day that tend to be stressful. A few minutes of quiet time may help you feel better um, without getting irritated or angry. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. I remove myself from the situation. I know my boundaries and I come back into whatever it is with a renewed sense of you know, calm and purpose and, you know, it's never perfect, right? It's never perfect, but at least, you know, that you have these things to hold on to. Um, number four is getting exercise. Physical activity can reduce stress. We all know this, right? And it can cause you to just become less angry. If you feel your angry, your anger, um, escalating, go for a brisk walk or a run, but I'm not going for a run. Um, number five is identify possibly possible solutions. This one's big for me cause I'm a fixer cause I like to solve problems. I'm a computer programmer. So instead of focusing on what made you mad, work on resolving the issue at hand. Does your child's messy room drive you crazy? Shut the door. Is your partner late for dinner every night? Schedule meals later in the evening or agree to eat on your own a few times a week. Um, remind yourself that anger is not going to make anything better. It's just going to make it worse. That's me for sure, like every day. Number six is stick with I statements to avoid criticizing or placing blame, which might only increase tension. Use I statements. Be respectful respectful and specific. For example, say I'm upset that you left the table without helping to, uh, or offering to help with the dishes instead of you never do housework. This is like something I deal with every day. So number seven here is don't hold a grudge. 
Um, forgiveness is a powerful tool. If you allow anger and other negative feelings to crowd out positive feelings, you might find yourself swallowed up by your own bitterness or sense of injustice. But if you can forgive someone who angered you, you might both learn from the situation and strengthen your relationship. Number eight, my favorite, use humor to release tension. Um, I mean, there's really no description of this. Just laugh and have a fucking good time, right? Like it will really help. I was on a women's camp trip for a weekend a few weeks ago. I was there for three nights. And again, it was definitely a test of my, it was a test. And I, I was so funny. I made that whole group of ladies laugh the entire weekend. And that was my tension release because it was stressful for me to sleep in a cabin with all those women. My boundaries were being tested. And so using humor was the best thing for me. It just filled me up. It was wonderful. Um, so nine and 10 is practice the relaxation skills and then no one to seek help. And that was the biggest thing for me was going, something's really wrong here. And I know if I don't get help, I'm going to end up something really, really bad's going to happen. I don't even want to think about what it would have been. I'm extremely proud of myself that I got help when I did. And that now I still see it. Now I'm speaking about it. Because as I've been talking for the last 40 minutes, I've really come to realize that there's nothing I won't talk about. There's no question I won't answer. Nothing. I've told you now most of my garbage. And I hope that it's not in vain. So... I'm going to leave you with this. I truly believe that what we see in others. So for example, like when I'm annoyed with someone else, it's because that is a mirror reflecting back at me and showing me what I don't like about myself. And so that's a difficult pill to swallow. No pun intended. And that's what, is happening now is this barrage of self-awareness that comes crashing back to me when I do these or I talk to people or, you know, speak about mental illness or all these things start to happen once I put myself out there. And, um, I'm trying to break down that stigma and that means for myself too, realizing that I need to be open about everything and anything so that I'm not putting a guard up, if that makes sense. So what I'm asking for is all of you to email me at brooke, B-R-O-O-K-E, at mentalillnesslife.com. Just tell me where you are, which episodes have spoken to you the most, and what's happening in your life and whether or not you've sought treatment or not. Remember, I am not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not going to write back with, you know, 
advice and talk to you about your treatments. I'm just looking for a little bit of feedback. Okay. I want to know what you're getting from this. Um, if you just like listening to my voice, that's cool. I just want to know if it's reaching who I want it to reach and get some feedback that way. So that being said, thank you for your open mind and your open hearts. And I look forward to speaking with you again. And I hope that you take care of yourselves and each other.